0: The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so today we're going to be doing the story... Of Tom Thumb, as told by Nanny Piggins. Here we go. It was late, and the children should have been in bed, but they were too full of adrenaline to fall asleep. You see, it was report card day. This was always a high-energy day in the Green household. At least, it had been since Nanny Piggins had come to live with them. Nanny Piggins believed that it was wrong for a government institution to send secret letters to parents reporting on their child's behaviour. She considered it tantamount to espionage and snitching. So, as a point of principle, she never let Mr Green see any of the children's report cards. At least not their real report cards. She did allow him to get a glimpse of a fake report card made out of peanut brittle one time. But aside from that one occasion, she always went to great lengths to make sure that the reports were removed from the letterbox and destroyed before he knew they had arrived. This was harder than you might think because Nanny Piggins often destroyed Mr Green's mail, either to punish him for irritating her, this happened most days, or so he'd never find any written complaints about her behaviour. The man at the health food store had been writing to Mr Green weekly, begging him to stop her from yelling BOO every time she walked past his store. The children actually got very good report cards, solid B-plus averages. They might have got A's in history if they hadn't been taught so much of that subject by Nanny Pickens herself, and her accounts so rarely aligned with the official written record. So anyway, on a regular day, when the post was delivered, Mr Green usually sprinted up the front path to get to it first, before Nanny Piggins could interfere with his correspondence. But on this day, when she knew the reports were coming, she went to even greater lengths to thwart him. Three blocks away, she'd intercepted the postman and bribed him with a sticky date pudding to lend her his uniform and delivery bicycle. Then she got the retired army colonel from around the corner, who was deeply in love with her, to pretend to be the postman and deliver a fake letter. Mr. Green had snatched up his letter and run back into the house. If he'd had any common sense, he'd have realised it was a fake, because why else would the Queen of Denmark be writing to him for tax advice? But Mr. Green had no common sense, so Nanny Pickens knew she would get away with it. As a result, when the report cards were put in the letterbox, Mr. Green didn't realise they were there. He was too busy looking up grovelling adjectives in his thesaurus for his return letter to the Queen of Denmark. Now that the report cards were in the letterbox, Nanny Pickens couldn't destroy them herself. That would be wrong, and being wrong was against her principles. But she had spent six months training 50 garden snails to eat letters. She now released these snails into their new home, the letterbox. If snails could squeal with delight, they would have done so, as they tumbled onto the delicious report cards. "'But what if Father finds out?' asked Michael. "'If the snails eat the report cards, that's not my fault,' said Nanny Piggins. "'It's Darwinism, survival of the fittest. The report cards weren't destined to survive if they weren't fit enough to fight off a few snails.' Fifty snails,' amended Michael. "'I could have trained sixty or a hundred, said Nanny Piggins, "'but I wanted to give the reports a sporting chance.' Now, what should we do to celebrate? Um, said the children. Fortunately, the choice was made for them, because at that point, an ice cream van drove past the end of the street. So, of course, Nanny Piggins leapt onto the bicycle, ordered all three children to jump on the handlebars, and she took off after it. Chasing an ice cream van is not an easy task when you're a four-foot-tall pig with one-foot-long legs. The ice cream van had tried to outrun them because Nanny Piggins always abused the ice cream van driver for the stinginess of the chocolate in his chocolate-dipped cones. But as he was swerving to avoid a blow from her handbag, he hit a fire hydrant. It erupted like a volcano of water, and this resulted in a spontaneous water fight of all the neighbourhood children. Of course, eventually the police had arrived and the ice cream van man tried to press charges. But the police sergeant could not be convinced that riding a bicycle in an intimidating manner was a crime that would hold up in a court of law. Then the police sergeant pointed out that the ice cream van man had been driving in a reckless fashion. So, to avoid jail time, the ice cream van man had bribed the police sergeant by giving him, the constable, Nanny Piggins and all the neighbourhood children double scoop cones. Then he'd given up and joined the water fight himself and had a marvellous time. As you can imagine, after spending the day in such a manner, the children were tired but also too excited to drift off to sleep. Probably all the sugar in the multiple double scoop cones hadn't helped either. Why don't you tell us a story, suggested Derek. All right, said Nanny Piggins. If you hadn't been there yourselves, I would tell you the story of today, because it's been fantastic, and I'm sure it'll go down in the history books as one of your best report card days ever. At least nothing caught fire this year, said Samantha. I know. Why don't I tell you the story of my distant cousin, said Nanny Piggins. Tom Thumb. Was Tom short for Thomasina, asked Michael, because your distant cousin was actually a girl and a pig don't be ridiculous said nanny piggins well naturally she was a pig but what on earth made you think she was a girl well that does often seem to be the case when you tell us your stories explained derrick well not in this instance said nanny piggins no tom was a piggins but he came from the no good branch of the family in fact his real name was bramwell bramwell piggins the 3rd Now, in case you don't recall, dear listener, Nanny Piggins herself had a brother called Bramwell, and he was the worst of all her siblings, which is really saying something because she had 13 identical twin sisters who were all evil in entirely different ways. So the Bramwell we've met, your brother, said Samantha, which Bramwell is he? Bramwell Piggins the 157th, said Nanny Piggins. Sadly, each generation in history has been cursed with a Bramwell and each is every bit as no good and useless as the last. Wow, that's unlucky, said Michael. Luck has nothing to do with it, said Nanny Piggins. It's genetics. It's the dioxyribose nucleic acid in their chromosomes. It forces them to be useless wastrels from the day they're born. So how come this Bramwell was known as Tom Thumb, asked Samantha. Oh, he had to change his name, said Nanny Piggins. He'd forgotten to return a library book, and the librarian was hunting him down. He changed his name to avoid a library fine, asked Derek. Oh no, this was the 1500s, said Nanny Piggins. Books were handwritten in beautiful calligraphy by monks back then, which meant they were worth a lot more money. So in those days, when a librarian hunted you down, they really hunted you down with a bow and an arrow and a sack to tie you up in as they dragged you back to the library to work off your fine in the dungeon. Surely libraries didn't have actual dungeons, said Samantha. Of course they did, said Nanny Piggins. I'm sure they still do. Where do you think they imprison the people who fold over the corner of the page to mark their spot? I don't think they're allowed to do that, said Samantha. Ha! said Nanny Piggins. You have a good listen next time you're in the library. If you hear the muffled sound of moaning, that's some poor soul who got caught dog-earing a copy of Pride and Prejudice. Gosh, said Michael. anyway. If you've all done enough interrupting, said Nanny Piggins, I'd better start my story. It all began with Tom's mother, a delightful woman, a former snake charmer, you know. Snakes would do whatever she wanted them to because she always paid them the most charming compliments. But when she retired from the circus, she fell on hard times and she was dreadfully lonely. She longed to have a child of her own to keep her company. One day, a fairy came to the door, probably looking for teeth. Fairies are always on the lookout for teeth. They're supposed to only take teeth that have fallen out already, but some more immoral fairies are not above knocking them out themselves. Nanny Piggins, I don't think that's true, said Michael. I've never actually seen it happen, conceded Nanny Piggins, but I'm always on the ready to slap a trotter across my mouth, just in case when I see a fairy coming." Anyway, Tom's mother had a nice cup of tea with the fairy, and she started telling the fairy all about her troubles, as you do when you're dreadfully lonely. It turned out this fairy was one of the good ones. She was so grateful for the lovely cup of tea, she said, "'Don't worry, love. I've got just the thing for you. For 50 cents, you can buy this poppy seed.' "'50 cents for a poppy seed?' cried my great aunt. "'That's not a very market-appropriate price.' "'Trust me,' said the fairy, "'it's a bargain.' because you'll get something much better. You'll get the child you've always longed for. Well, that does sound good, but I don't have 50 cents, said my aunt. What will you give me for, my aunt searched in her pockets and dug out, an old button, a toothpick and one cent. I'll give you a much smaller baby, said the fairy. Well, that'd probably work out better, said my aunt. A baby that's a fiftieth of the size of a regular baby would be much easier to make clothes for. And I wouldn't have to buy a bed for them. I could just stuff them in a matchbox. Okay, deal. So the fairy gave her the single poppy seed and told my aunt to plant it in the garden. This seemed like an odd way to create a baby, said Nanny Piggins, but it was a fairy tale, so my aunt decided to ask no follow-up questions. She planted the poppy seed, and the next morning when she went to check on it, it had already grown to a full-size plant, and there was a flower bud. Then, right in front of her eyes, the bud opened, and a tiny little baby boy was revealed. Crikey, said my aunt. That went better than I expected. So she took the boy in and looked after him and loved him dearly. Unfortunately, being a Piggins who does everything to extremes, she may have loved him too dearly because the boy grew up spoiled and lazy as so many Bramwells do. And he was totally incapable of resisting a dessert. "'So are you,' Derek pointed out. "'Yes, but I am four foot tall,' said Nanny Piggins. "'My appreciation of fine dining does not have so much potential for disaster.' "'What do you mean?' asked Samantha." Tom Thumb loved dessert so much, said Nanny Piggins. One day, when his mother was making one, he snuck over to help himself for a bite. She was making a delicious chocolate pudding, but as Tom leaned over to get a bite, he toppled in and got stuck inside the pudding. The pudding was set before he could escape, and he was totally encased in dessert. Which would have been fine if his mother had eaten the pudding herself. She would have stuck in the spoon, found her son, and they would have had a good laugh about it. But as the pudding was sitting on the countertop, a tinker came to the door. He had a really fantastic cooking pot, my aunt fancied, so she traded him the pudding for the pot, not realizing her son was embedded inside. Well, why didn't Bramwell, I mean Tom, cry for help? asked Samantha because he was a nincompoop, said Nanny Piggins. He thought it was a great adventure to be carried off in a pudding. He never got to go anywhere normally because his legs were only one centimetre long, so even if he walked all day, he never got to the other end of the front path. And here was a tinker carrying him off on an adventure to see the world. Tom thought it was marvellous. The problem came when the tinker got to a style, said Nanny Piggins. What's a style? Asked Michael. It's a step built into a fence to help you climb over it, said Nanny Piggins. They were very common in the olden story days for people who were too lazy to open gates. Anyway, the tinker came to a style, put his foot on the step and swung his leg over the fence. Unfortunately, in this moment, as you use a style, you have to swing your leg very high and the tinker was not wearing active wear lycra leggings and stretch fabrics had not been invented yet so as his leg swung over the seam in the bottom of his trousers split open in a big tear inside the pudding tom heard what happened and burst out laughing the tinker was so horrified to find himself being laughed at by his dessert he dropped the pudding and ran away Tom chortled and chortled. He wasn't worried. He'd simply spend the afternoon eating his way out of the pudding, then the next three weeks walking home. Unfortunately, he'd only just conceived this plan when a passing raven had an entirely different idea. The raven spotted the pudding, which really was delicious. My aunt used only the finest chocolate, butter and sugar in the recipe. The raven couldn't resist. It swooped down and swallowed the pudding whole. Now Tom was inside the pudding, which was inside the raven, but as the raven flew and the pudding began to digest in its stomach, the raven began to realise there was something much less pleasant in its stomach as well. You see, Tom was not a great believer in bathing or washing his clothes, so having Tom in its stomach began to make the raven feel ill. The raven's stomach started to churn and convulse. Its throat started to gag and it couldn't hold it in any longer. The raven was sick, spewing out Tom. "'Gross,' said Michael. "'Did he die when he hit the ground?' asked Derek. "'No, luckily they were flying over the sea at the time,' said Nanny Piggins, so Tom fell into the water. "'Phew,' said Samantha. "'Where he was eaten by a fish,' said Nanny Piggins.' "'Wow, he wasn't having a good day, was he?' said Michael. "'The fish was used to eating raw prawns and seaweed, "'so he didn't mind the taste of Tom. "'It swam along, happy to have a stomach full of him. "'The fish was just going home for a nice nap "'when it spotted a delicious worm dangling in front of its face. "'Now, worms are just like after-dinner-mints to fish,' "'explained Nanny Piggins, the perfect way to end a meal. "'So without thinking, the fish opened its mouth and swallowed the worm.' not realising that the worm was attached to a fishing hook which was attached to a fishing line which was being held by a fisherman. By that evening the fish was on a plate being served to King Arthur. King Arthur, said Michael. The King Arthur, King of all the Britons, asked Derek. Yes, said Nanny Piggins. wasn't she a cousin of yours too, asked Samantha. Yes, it was quite a coincidence, wasn't it, said Nanny Piggins. She instantly recognised her no-good cousin Bramwell, told him off for ruining her dinner and marched him home to his mother, where she made him promise never to impersonate a royal dinner again. The end. Time for bed. Okay, well, that's the end of that story. But I have written a second story for you this week, and it is a tall tale. We haven't had a tall tale for a while, so I'm looking forward to this one. A tall tale about haircuts and ninjas. Mum and Tammy were walking into town. They didn't talk as much as they used to. Tammy was getting older and more reticent, and Mum had a lot on her mind with work. They'd been walking in silence for some time. They cut through the gardens, as they always did on the way to the shops, where there were some older teenagers playing with a football. They were calling out to each other and kicking it across the path where people were trying to walk. "'You know,' said Mum, "'when I was young, I was young.' "'No kidding,' said Tammy. "'I mean, I thought like a young person,' said Mum. Then I got older, and I was still proud to be broad-minded and tolerant, and open to the new ideas of young people. But now I realise, those days are gone.' I am old. Yeah, you're 50, agreed Tammy. I'm 46, corrected Mum. Numbers six and over are rounded up, said Tammy. How come you don't know your times tables, but you know that? asked Mum. Tammy didn't respond. She just smirked. She knew Mum loved maths, so it was extra especially cruel to use it against her. Anyway, said Mum, my point is I'm old now. I know it. Not just because of my age, which is 50, added Tammy. Mum ignored her. I know I am old because I can't keep up with the new ways of thinking, said Mum. You're racist, said Tammy. I am not racist, said Mum. You're homophobic, said Tammy. I am not homophobic either, said Mum. I'm intolerant of the haircuts of teenage boys, said Mum. I see them and I have an overwhelming urge to give them a haircut. Mum was actually quite good at cutting hair, so this wasn't as random as it sounds. I thought you liked mullets, said Tammy. I do like the irony of mullets, said Mum, but mullets are only the starting point. Every year, teenage boys find a new and bizarre way to have hair that looks dreadful. Mullets can look nice... Ugh, said Tammy. They can, said Mum. Dreadlocks can look nice, but somehow, whatever they pick, teenagers make it look dreadful. I think it's the haircut combined with the awkwardness and the pimples. I don't like the reality of it. And they don't have to look at their ridiculous heads. They're just walking eyesores. Uh Uh-huh, said Tammy. You know, I could bring my hair clippers down to the garden, said Mum. Hide in a bush. Then, when a teenager walks by, leap out and cut his hair. Mum had a black belt in Hapkido, so she didn't just have the hairdressing skills to accomplish this. But that'd be assault, said Tammy. And if you jumped out of a bush and wrestled a teenager to the ground, then cut his hair, that would definitely be assault. Well, yes, technically, agreed Mum, and it would probably be a bad look for a children's author to start assaulting teenagers. But what if I gave them haircuts so good that when I showed them the vast improvement, they'd instantly forgive me for the assault part? That would have to be a really good haircut, said Tammy. Well, it couldn't be any worse, said Mum. Plus, you'd get in trouble with their mothers, said Tammy. No, the mothers would be deeply grateful, said Mum. In fact, mothers would be begging me to leap out and cut their son's hair. They'd be texting me to tell me they were on their way and telling me which bush to hide in. They might even pay me. I'd be able to quit my job. Uh Uh-huh, said Tammy. I still think you'd get in trouble. Oh, 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 said Mum. Not if I hid my identity, with a costume. I could be a superhero, just like those Marvel movies you like. Iron Man saves the universe, said Tammy. He doesn't give people haircuts. Ah, but if he had given everyone haircuts, said Mum, maybe he wouldn't have had to have saved the universe. It's the broken windows theory. Police departments have found that if you police all the small crimes, it reduces the amount of serious crime. So you're going to save the planet By cutting hair, said Tammy. Every generation needs a hero, said Mum. I am prepared to take on the challenge. I'm prepared to be the haircut ninja. You know, the teenage boys will just run away, said Tammy. Well, that's a good thing too, said Mum. Teenagers spend too much time on their devices and looking at screens. So if they're running away from middle-aged ladies with hair clippers, that will be giving them much-needed exercise and fresh air. So only fast people will have terrible haircuts, said Tammy. No, said Mum, because they'll be running all the time. They'll be sweating all the time, so they'll want a nice short haircut. It'll never work, said Tammy. And I could use drones, said Mum. Drones with clippers attached. I'd operate them from a remote location so as to evade the police. The drones would roost in trees, then swoop like magpies as teenagers ran past. Why not just train actual magpies, said Tammy. "'Oh, that's a good idea,' said Mum, her eyes lighting up as she thought about it. "'But how would they hold the clippers? Magpies don't have opposable thumbs.' "'Well, you could gaffer-tape the clippers to their feet,' said Tammy. "'Oh, no, that'd be cruel,' said Mum. "'I can't be cruel to magpies.' but you can be cruel to teenagers?' asked Tammy. "'Of course,' said Mum. "'People like birds. "'Well, they do the eleven months of the year when magpies aren't dive-bombing their heads.' no one likes teenagers, largely because of their haircuts. You see, it's a vicious circle. I have to break the cycle. They'd all just start wearing bicycle helmets, said Tammy. Gosh, you're probably right, said Mum. I hadn't thought of that. Teenagers are so devious. And they'd get clear plastic ones, so they'd still be able to see their haircut through the helmet, said Tammy. Ugh, said Mum. So it'd be a terrible haircut and they'd have hat hair. You'd better stick to writing children's books, said Tammy. "'I suppose so,' said Mum. "'You like writing children's books?' Tammy reminded her. "'Yes,' agreed Mum, "'but it so rarely involves wrestling, "'and I have so much pent-up rage "'from pretending to be polite to librarians.' "'I know,' Mum said Tammy. "'Do you want to go to the bookshop "'and laugh at all the books on the remainder table?' Mum smiled. This always cheered her up. "'Okay,' she said. "'And that is the end of the story. "'So we'll leave it there, "'but now just a few reminders "'about all the things that are coming up.' On the 18th of December this year, I'm going to be doing Christmas Stories with R.A. Spratt at the Glen Street Theatre in Sydney. Uh, so go and check out the Glen Street Theatre's website if you would like to buy tickets. There's still a few left by a few, I think it's 79 from today. And if you are in Melbourne, you can get tickets to the official launch of Friday Barnes 11, Last Chance. And that's going to be taking place in the Theatrette at the State Library of Victoria, which is a very posh and impressive building. So come along and see me there. You can get tickets for that at eventbrite.com. Uh, both of these things you can find through my Instagram page or my website or my Facebook page. Um, and my website is ra.spratt.com, And my Instagram is at rasprat and my Facebook is also at ra.spratt. So, and then very soon, like in the next two weeks, I'm going to be going into the uh, studio at the publisher and I'm going to be recording the audio book of Nanny Piggins and the Runaway Lion, which is the third book in that series. And it's super cool because that means the audiobook should be on sale before Christmas, which will be perfect for any Christmas time road trips you've got planned or as a Christmas present. So there are all the things coming up. Um, I think that's it. And um, people are complaining about me not doing shows at their cities, but I literally, I'm looking around my desk and I have post it notes everywhere of theaters in all different cities. That I'm trying to book for Christmas time next year. I'm trying to find a theatre in Brisbane and a bigger theatre in Melbourne. So I am working on it. But you know, these things take a bit of time. But I am working on it and I hope to get to you all eventually. Okay, that's it for now. Until next time, goodbye.